Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. We're back with another student Q&A, and this week, Devin Hedge has come back and is gracing us with his presence. Devin, thank you. My pleasure, Dave. How are you doing? I'm doing better now that we've figured out an alternative to Skype, because today is part of the days that Skype has been abducted by the internet pirates. So we can't use it, which is what Shame we usually on do. Them. I know. Horrible. I know. But fair play to them. It's also pretty impressive they were able to pull it off. I know, so. right? <laughs> We're, we're being, uh, we're trying to use Google to do this, so we'll see how it works. So we're just going to get right into it in hopes that we can get through this before everything collapses around our ears. Um, Fingers so, crossed. Yes. And we've got a question from a student. This is from somebody who took a class um, recently and then sent in a whole bunch of questions. We've been going through, through them one at a time. And this is the last of the questions. So I'll read it to you. And then Devin's wiser about this topic. So we're going to see what he has to say. The question is, how to plan for the architecture effectively. With Waterfall, we try to figure out all aspects of the business and the technical solution in advance before we start development. In Agile, we discover as we go. It's very likely that when we come to a certain, we'll find either the current business logic or the current technical framework cannot adapt to our upcoming demands. There's a high opportunity that we'll need to destroy all the work that we've done. Taking in this perspective, isn't Waterfall better than Agile? And I'm assuming where it said we come to a certain, I believe that was supposed to be a certain point. I was just trying to read it the way it was written. So sure, they're going to get sure. to a certain point. They're going to realize they made a bunch of bad decisions. So they're going to have to throw everything away and start over. So wouldn't that make Waterfall more effective because you can do all that planning up front and figure everything out? And then Devin? throw it away again <laughs> later. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great question. I, that's, Man, that's some really good thinking because there's a lot of debate out there. And I, I think well, the first thing you have to say is, uh, what do you mean by architecture? And well, let's take architecture out of it. Of I mean, isn't this just this, this question kind of applies to almost every aspect of the work that we're doing, right? If you do, if you build a bunch well, of software, you might have to throw it all away. And, and actually, that's okay because you're supposed to have some um, design principles in there, aka architectural standards. Okay. Right, um, that allow you to um, not have to throw it all the way. Uh, you're using certain technology um, approaches so that you've got the, the application is, um, I'm going to use an old school term since we're talking in old school terms, uh, modularized, right? So okay. you, you've got these modules that are loosely coupled so that when you discover architectural whoopses and and they happen, you know, I've seen it a lot actually. Uh, when you 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 come into it with an architectural paradigm, and you get into it, and you're like, you know what, this isn't this isn't going to work. So there's there's two aspects to this. One, there's the uh, design standards or architectural standards at the system level, at the application level and, and at the enterprise level right so you, you've got to have standards in there so the but the loosely coupled thing is is kind of what it all hangs on right because if you build it so that it's all stacked on top of itself and the only way you can go back and change something is to tear it all down then that's you're gonna have that problem either way yeah you're gonna have that problem either way so uh waterfall wouldn't have won there either because more likely whatever it was you wouldn't have well, you there's a good chance you wouldn't have found that. I wouldn't say you wouldn't have, but um, you would have spent a lot of time finding it, and then 
you know, how much, how much money did the business lose while you were finding it versus how much money is it going to cost you to do over? Right. So I want to go to a more fundamental question and I want to ask, it seems like there, there's a, an assumption being made that if we were using waterfall, that all that planning that we did in the very beginning was going to make us more right than if we just start building stuff. And I feel very comfortable saying, as somebody who's got a master's degree in project management, saying that planning all that stuff up front, that's, that's just ridiculousness because you're, you're making all those decisions at the most irresponsible moment in the life of the project. When you know the least you're ever going to know, you're deciding everything that's going to happen. I always, in class, I describe that as like planning your life out when you're 17 years old. You think you know everything and you don't know anything at all. Yeah, well, I think that's an extreme statement, but I think you're on the right track there. I mean, it, you know the problem space, but do you know enough detail around the problem space to dictate architectural um, design all the way through the system? And even Waterfall wasn't supposed to do that. And And I think some folks forget that, right? Waterfall was progressive elaboration through three stages. And w one of those stages <laughs> was the unfortunate one, the one that you didn't want to do it, which is actually when you're doing the, the development, right? But there's two stages before that. Well, there was analysis and there was design, right? Okay. And a lot of people spend a lot of time doing analysis. And a lot of people spend a lot of design time only to find out that 60% of their solution, roughly, usually, isn't going to work the way that you thought it was going to work. And so you're going to have to do over. And so you spend another 60%, which is, these are real numbers, right? You spend another 60% on the cost of the program or project to get it right again. So, yeah, I, I, you're right. It's irresponsible to, to assume that you can plan everything out when you're 17 for your life. And it's kind of irresponsible to say that also. Um, <laughs> there are certain about software. I, I think there's some depends parts of it that have to do with what type of system are you dealing with? All right. Are you talking about uh, where you've got an existing system? Right. Like, a, I don't know, a CRM system. Okay. That one's on my mind Something right now. Something that's already in place. And, Something that's already in place and you're cutting over to a new CRM system. Well, you already know a lot about the design and architecture of the existing CRM system. A lot of companies love to think that because they already know that, then they just already know how to plumb the new system. Well, the new system is likely built with newer technology, different architectural approach, different vendor. And so... You know, about the only thing that you can know up front, literally, is all of the, uh, I'll call them interfaces, system interfaces around your existing CRM. If you think that you know how those are going to interplay with the new system, I think you're uh, smoking something in Colorado. <laughs> Where it's legal. So do you think, I mean, let's, let's go back to, to the basic question. If we're talking about architecture, this fact that we don't know everything up front, that's not going away whether you choose Waterfall or Agile. The question no, it's becomes, not. are you going to take an approach to work that's hopefully going to let you inspect and adapt and be as loosely coupled as possible and make 
make room for as much freedom so that you can make those changes as you learn? Or are you going to try to solve as many problems before you actually look at anything and try to just be as right as you can with your guess and assume that you're not going to make mistakes? Yeah. And, and there's another aspect. I, I, I agree with everything you said, but I also have to bring, you know, my enterprise architecture had a, into the play and say, but you better have some um, architectural guidelines and architectural roadmap that's done at the enterprise level that provides for the application teams or system teams uh, what we, what I always call guardrails and guideposts, right? To keep them safe. So to keep them safe, right? And if you've got the guardrails and guideposts and then you push autonomy down and those 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 standards include this concept of like using uh, this is just current technology, so I'll use that example. Microservices for um, you know trying to encapsulate functions within a particular set of classes or a particular service, right? Um, and, and keeping that that set of services loosely coupled, and the interfaces themselves are are versioned, right? So. We didn't used to have that discipline. So if if you if you're an organization that's still a novice in that discipline, well, you know, you either learn, which is the recommended thing, which usually takes technical coaching, or you have to fall back on big design up front. So I'm not an architect and and I mean I'm about as far from an architect as you could possibly be. So I just want to try to dumb this down and tell me if I if I have the problem sorted out straight in my head. So we, we accept the fact that we don't know enough to make truly responsible decisions, but we're going to have to make some some upfront either way. You're advocating for creating kind of parameters that would keep us as safe as possible and start to work that way. But if I come from an architecture background, if I am someone who is, you know, accustomed to that, I'm going to lay the entire groundwork before anybody comes in here to mess around. When that person does that, they are limiting the freedom for choice in the future or adding a lot of cost to choice if if you decide we've got to rip all this stuff out. that That's absolutely correct. I have a, a best friend from high school. Uh, shout out to Tim Williamson. He's an architect, uh, graduate from Auburn University's. Uh, amazing school of architecture. He um, he's he's down near uh, the folks in Georgia, in Atlanta, and he mill you know he makes these amazing amazing buildings uh, out there. And one of the things that he tells me, he says, you know, I'm still designing this thing, even after they have you know built all of the framework, all the the superstructure and all that. It's all built, right? He says, but. But the design team is still working on, hey, what's going to be in the first floor? What's going to be in the second floor? Right. I mean, we know notionally, right? But he said it'd be completely foolish of us to think that we are going to know what the tenants who actually lease the building want. I think that's a, a, a real way of thinking about big design up front being dangerous in software. Yeah, it just, well, I, I think it's it may be an accepted risk, and I can think of lots of reasons why people would would argue for it but it does add a lot of risk because you're assuming you're making the right choices when you don't necessarily have all the information that you need like we're gonna you know put this thing here in the room and you don't even know if you're gonna need that thing in the room yet you're kind of stuck in it and yeah 
So there's increased risk. And and I would say, I don't think Waterfall or Agile is better. Neither one's better than the other. They're just different tools. And it's all about how you employ them. Now, you were talking about kind of setting these safety guidelines. If you were giving advice to somebody who was an old school architect who was trying to work in a more agile way, what kind of things would you recommend to them coming into a project so that they could try to keep themselves you know, as safe as possible to put up those guardrails and things like that? Yeah, so I, I think about, okay, um, think about all those different upstream, downstream systems uh, that are, are going to be in play. Um, maybe even do some prototyping with the UX team and see how people are actually going to use this thing. Then start forming your guidelines around, okay, we know the best practices around um, keeping systems decoupled. Great. What's going to work here in this context? What can we all sign up to uh, that sounds something like Jeff Bezos's famous email about web services? It, it ends up as a little bit of a mandate, and that's okay. okay. All right? It's okay. The mandate is very succinct you know you will use web services that's what bezos said he says or you're fired well you don't need to do the last part but at least everyone needs to know you will use web services in order to maintain decoupling you will keep the code complexity below a certain uh, level you will allocate 20 percent of your backlog to refactoring sprint over sprint if these are the types of things you put in there you're making space for even you as an architect to figure out as you go what are the standards need to be. You may you may want to take one or two sprints up front before the team actually starts chewing on it while you're going through your UX prototyping and things like that. Go ahead and build out your architectural framework that everyone else is going to hang off of. When architects are thinking through this stuff, do they... Do they think about it with the mindset that every choice I make limits my freedom in the future? Or is it, is that not, I mean, to me, that's how I always look at it, but I don't know how an architect looks at the world. I think they recognize that. And so most of the architects that I know, real architects that I know, uh, they're very mindful of that. Okay. You know, they've, they've, they've grown up, they've had their hands on the keyboard. Um, the ones who were kicked up into the ivory tower, you know, they'll, you don't see that that often anymore. So that 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 kind of thing is going away, and, and the folks that yeah yeah it's it's going away, and the and the architects I'm finding are really eating the humble pie, and really consulting with the people who are going to be doing the work. Well, I was thinking about this Python framework, right? What are the, what do you guys know about this Python framework as as a standard? Oh, nobody knows anything. Oh, well, hmm. Why would we choose that then? What What are the pros and cons? And if we choose that, what boxes that put us in? Well, that I, we pa- have to live with. Pause there for one second, because this was the thing I was going to ask next: is is it is it a standard practice for an architect to look at all the things that you know that have to be done with whatever information they have? They've got this plan in their head. But do they ever map out like this is when the decisions have to be made and we're going to go left or we're going to go right and kind of game out, you know, this is where this takes us, this is where that takes us. So that at least from a risk analysis standpoint, there is an understanding of, oh, this thing's coming up. We have to make that decision next. And that 
Yeah, no, feed them in the future. Yeah, I mean, you're you're onto something there. Which is, we when I talked about you know prototyping and, and laying the architectural framework up front, um, that usually comes out of the initial feature story map, right? Right. And when you're in there with the team, walking the wall, going through the backbone of that story map, you're identifying, all right, what's the order we need to do these in? What what are the thin slices of this that we need to do this in? And what architectural decisions do we need to make and when do we need to make them? And that's the magic right there. That's the magic because you're you are taking into account that you do need to make these decisions. Right. You're recognizing that up front, but you're not having to worry about and spin on that. You're just worrying about the stuff that you have to do immediately so that that team can get going and not be on the rails when they're going out of the gate. So this goes back to that make all your choices at the last possible responsible moment thing. That is it. Now, do you think that uh, there's a part of me that's thinking that architects probably get that, but that lay people don't get that and they think the architecture all has to be completely locked down ahead of time and i'm wondering if it's people who come from my background like project managers um that are causing this confusion that may not really be you know i don't know i i don't know i i i like to give people the benefit of the doubt you know um i like to blame i'm not sure sure where it's coming (laughs) from it it's funny so it's weird what you uh find yourself talking to your 16 year old daughter about, and I was out teaching her drive just a while ago and I was talking about really having a fluid mindset. And she says, you know, I was reading this article about having a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset. And I'm like, well, yeah, where did you hear that? And then she told me about it. And I was like, well, what do you think? What do you think that's about? She says, well, I keep seeing all these people with a fixed mindset about how the world's supposed to work. And then something happens and it blows up their world. And I'm like, yeah, that's the way that works. And I'm wondering if there's something about the way that we have set up structure governance and metrics around people in organizations historically that, um, frankly, puts them in a fixed mindset, even though they probably might have a growth mindset. It just kind of, over time, it conditions you. And well, so, I think we, we put controls in place to limit the ability to have a growth mindset because that's how yeah. we dealt with risk back then. Plan it all out, get well, it locked and, down, and do it. And don't deviate. Yeah. It, it goes back to that misapplication of manufacturing uh, construct from the early industrial age to services. And it, it and knowledge work and it just doesn't work. So so to come back to the question, so the question initially was is waterfall better than agile because we have all these things we don't know. And, and there's another part, and we've talked about this before, but um I think there's an assumption that if you spend a lot of time doing that big upfront planning, you're gonna be more right. And I'm wondering what the value is in waiting that long to get the feedback you need to make smarter choices. I mean, that to me is the biggest risk there is that you're going to take all this time and you're not going to have, you're not going to be taking new information in. I'm going to go one step further and say your company or organization is spending a lot of money on that time. And people might argue that they're not, but I'm saying that there's also a cost of delay in there. And that cost is chewing up the opportunity cost of getting feedback 
very early and very often in what it is, whatever it is that you're building. Yeah. And that, and that means that it's going to take longer for you to make those smarter decisions. So for the person who asked the question, I guess part of my counter would be you're at greater risk of making bad decisions if you're not including that feedback loop early on because you're kind of walking down whatever path you're seeing and you're missing a whole lot of stuff going on around you. And that's unavoidable. And so one way that we would say you can mitigate that risk is by trying to leave yourself as open to change as possible and working in a way that, you know, while you're going to have to have architecture, you want it, as Devin said, to be as loosely coupled as possible and try to put up some kind of process that will allow you to work safely, but give you as much freedom as possible. Is that, is that a good summary? Yeah, I think that captured. Yeah, that's a good summary. Cool. So Devin, thank you for helping out with this. And you've got some events coming up, right? I want to make sure that we plug those. Yeah, actually I do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So North Carolina uh, chapter of the Project Management Institute actually asked me to come in on July 11th and talk about uh, budgeting for um, agile financial cost management and tracking. So it's, it's, uh, you know, really going through and and unpacking just how simple it is and at the same time uh, upside down, literally, that agile uh, budgeting is compared to traditional cost management. That's on July 11th. The URL for that's ncpmi.org slash committee slash agile. All right. And I also one? have, uh, yeah, it's uh, South Carolina's uh, project management in government uh, in uh, Columbia, South Carolina. I'm going to be speaking, I believe it's on the 20th, and I'll have the URL down in the notes. Cool. All right, dude, thank you very much for doing this. I really appreciate it. And if people want to get in touch with you, if they have follow-up questions, they want to harass you about budgeting, what's the best way for them to reach you? Well, uh, first place would be going to leadingagile.com, uh, and uh, you'll you'll find us over uh, – you'll find me on there. Uh, okay. And then the other place is uh, Twitter okay. and LinkedIn. All right. And your Twitter handle is? Devin Hedge. Doesn't right. get any easier. And I will include your LinkedIn link in the show notes as well. Dude, thank you very much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I hope this helps someone. And I hope it works. We've tried to record this a couple times, so hopefully this one <laughs> this one will actually take. And thank you for sending in the questions. So if you've got questions you'd like us to answer on the podcast, you can just send them to me, dave.prior at leadingagile.com. And my last name is spelled P-R-I-O-R. And thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.